My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Shame. 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 In the days when you lived as slaves to sin, you had no obligation to do the right thing. In that regard, you were free. But what do you have to show from your former lives besides shame? The outcome of that life is death, guaranteed. But now that you have been emancipated from the death grip of sin and are God's slave, you have a different sort of life, a growing holiness. The outcome of that life is eternal life. The payoff for a life of sin is death. But God is offering us a free gift eternal life through the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, the Liberating King. Romans 6, 20-24 From the Voice, step into the story of Scripture. For centuries, we humans have fought shame. We've used shame as a weapon, and the Church is no exception. The attempts to shame people into behavior changes by churches, pastors, priests, parents, and teachers has been, well, shameful. Psychologists have found through study that shame is detectable in children as young as 16 to 18 months of age, but that is not God's ideal. In Genesis 2.25, the Bible describes a world with no shame. On today's episode of Walking with Jesus, we talk about how mistakes and sin can lead to shame and what shame does to us. This is a unique episode because these clips are taken from two separate interviews, first with Jeff Fernandez and second with Jill Green. So we get to hear a biblical perspective and a psychological perspective on shame. These are edited together to help us in our walk with shame and forgiveness. Please share our episodes with your friends, like, rate, and review our show, and follow us on socials where we are Walking With Jesus podcast. Thanks for walking with us today. You used the word, sh- you used the word shame earlier. Um, I we, I recently heard a term that I'm going to steal and I, because I love it. The word is shame attendant. That's the actual person that's whispering in your ear yeah. when, you know, we call it a playlist. Yeah. Um, but that, that your shame attendant. So each yeah. of us has our own shame attendant. It's a very, our own personal, yeah. they belong to us. It's a wonderful, awful cursing gift. Yeah. That is, is ours. Yeah. That, that we all have this shame attendant. And I know that shame never goes away. Like we, it, it's something that whether you're a believer or a not, or not, you're a new believer or you've been a believer for 30 years, doesn't matter. Shame never goes away. It's something that's always, the shame attendant is always whispering. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to talk to you about is when you work with students, what for you personally, when you feel overwhelmed by shame, attacked by shame, just start hearing it. Is there a specific process that you kind of go through or do you have a, it just kind of depends on the, the, the situation. Is there something that you, I guess I'm looking for advice for me and the listeners <laughs> about what 
happens in you when you start hearing that voice of shame, knowing that nine times out of 10, shame is a tool from the pit of hell. Yeah. There is the, there are times when shame is appropriate. Please don't get me wrong. There are shame is there's a reason we feel shame every once in a while. It's appropriate. Like you're supposed to feel it so that you learn correct behavior, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately for shame to keep going, the shame attendant is where that that's the pit of hell that comes out of the pit of hell. And so what happens for you when the shame attendant makes himself known? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Patrick, I, I can't even tell you how much I love this question. (laughs) Um, And if I can, I'm going to push back on some things that you said and maybe even add um, some correction. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we talk about shame, you know, and I'd said earlier, like I had shame uh, from um, watching my father and not doing anything about him hurting my sister. I don't have that anymore. And what we know is um, biblically shame is used by the devil. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you said nine times out of 10, my pushback, my maybe correction is 10 out of 10. Okay. Shame is, shame is never a tool that Holy Spirit uses. Jeff's insight into how shame is used for evil is incredible. With Jill, I openly admit that I try to use shame as a weapon, and our conversation leads us to discuss how we can overcome shame and what it does to us if we don't. People want each other to feel shame. If, I, if somebody has wronged me, um, I may want that person to feel ashamed for what they have done. And when I'm lower in my own feelings when I feel down, then I look to shame people even more, especially when they have wronged me. I often mm-hmm. look to become the perpetrator in, in this to, to make someone almost to see if I can bring someone down to my level. Mm-hmm. I've not done this as much since I started walking with Jesus, but I do the, the, the thought pattern still occurs in my brain where I still have these things where I almost want people to feel shame as a f- course of revenge. Do you think that God wants us to feel shame? I don't think he wants us to feel shame. I think he would want us to feel guilt or conviction about that. Because again, if you go to the research of Brené Brown and guilt is, I feel bad for what I've done. Shame is, I feel bad about myself. Mm. Like I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference in that. Yeah. So... When we are upset or we're hurt and we want someone else to feel the shame and you kind of get a little high off of that, again, the research around the dopamine neurotransmitter shows that that actually creates a dopamine surge when there's bullying, shaming, um, demeaning someone, abusing someone. Um, So there's kind of like this reward component that goes along with it. But I think when we're hurting and someone else has hurt our feelings, it's a human response to want to tear them down and hurt them as well. When we know we're wrong and, Mm -hmm. and we are convicted in that wrongdoing, um, shame is a natural feeling. I think he wants us to feel convicted Mm -hmm. Have that awareness, recognize what we've, what we've done, try to repair it, ask for forgiveness, and move forward. And 
if you are the recipient, the longer you hold on to that and don't forgive that other person or radically accept like, this happened, they either may or may not have meant to do this, but this is the the end result. Like I'm hurt mm-hmm. in this process. If I don't release myself from feeling this way, I'm, you know, I'm going to be miserable and they may walk away and never even recognize what they've done to me. Mm. So you keep yourself in your own prison. Yeah. When you say, if I don't release myself of this, are there any, as a therapist, are there any tips or tricks or things like that, that we could look to in terms of how to release ourselves from that? I would say that this is a very, like, it's not a one and done technique. It is, again, the constant awareness. Mm -hmm. It is checking in with yourself. Mm -hmm. What am I actually thinking? Like, I mean, if we're really aware and you've got someone who's hurt you and you're like sitting there in the back of your head and it's like, I really hope someone does this to them too. Like, I hope that they go through this exact experience and I hope that they go through this, 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 and this. And if you can catch yourself in that moment and go, all right, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? The more we hang on to it, you know, it just sits there. But if we have the awareness and we're trying to like, okay, I I need to let this go. I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm letting myself off the hook. Hmm. Me holding on to this just upsets me. They may or may not ever apologize for what they've done to me. And if they don't, is my life going to stop here and I'm going to be angry for the rest of my life because of this person or this moment? Sometimes people will apologize and sometimes they will not. And it is really, really hard to set that off to the side. And again, this is not about letting someone get away with something as much as it is I have to release myself from feeling this way because if I don't, it will eat me alive. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if you're a believer in any type of religion or spirituality practice, or if you are a non-believer, it's the same thing for every person. I think Christians have the ability to go back to Jesus and say, I need some peace in my spirit. I can't do this all on my own. You know, so that's just another tool. But for other people who may not have that belief system, being able to say, this does not benefit me in any way. And I need to stop indulging the thinking of revenge, wanting them to suffer, you know, and and that's human thinking. It's human nature. I think we all do it. Um, it can be kind of fun for a while, but then when it takes over your life, you know, you have to be able to say, this is not helping me Yeah, and walk away from that. And it, it can be an ongoing process because forgiveness and letting go of that hurt and that anger, you might be able to do it one time, but then something else is said Yeah, and then it re-triggers everything that just happened. Biblically, we know Holy Spirit will use guilt. 
Now, I don't mean guilt as in like, you know, an, an old mean grandma, you know, I can't believe Patrick, you haven't come to see me lately. <laughs> I don't know why that voice, but it's, it I love feels, it. I'm keeping it. it. We're keeping right. it. Yep. It's there. Uh, it's, it's not Forever. that kind of guilt. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit uses guilt to bring us into conviction. Hmm. So that churning in your gut when you are in wrong, that churning in your gut when you're, you're in sin, when, when you're doing the, you said, you know, I was steeped in porn. I was steeped in alcohol. I was steeped in, you know, women and lust. Uh, I, I know very well the, the sin of porn and lust. Oh, the work the Holy Spirit did to free me from that. Um, and, and even as a non-believer steeped in porn, I knew every time that I was you know, done looking at porn every single time I felt just dirty. Mm. I felt just awful. Yeah. I think, you know, that yeah, feeling. absolutely. I'm guessing our listeners would know that absolutely. kind of feeling. And maybe it wasn't porn for, for the listeners. Maybe it was something else, but, but that deep, ugly feeling mm. incomplete, even, uh, you know, for me, it would leave me feeling like, nasty and sin. Yeah. sin would leave me feeling um unwantable hmm. yeah unworthy nobody would want to be around me just left me feeling ugly mm -hmm. and and so holy spirit uses guilt not to make us feel ugly and awful and and it's not that holy spirit uses guilt to bring us into conviction to say, I'm doing something wrong. And that conviction then is meant to lead us to repentance. So guilt leads us into conviction. That conviction is that moment of like, uh-oh, I'm, I'm being called out. I know I'm doing something wrong. I know I'm in sin. I know there's something not right in me or on me or in my actions. So guilt leads us to conviction. Conviction leads us into Repentance and repentance is this beautiful Greek word, uh, and it's it's metanoia. We get the word repentance from metanoia. Metanoia literally means 180. It means I'm turning away from. I I'm heading down this street right here, and I am gonna. I'm turning around. I'm 180. I, this street leads me to sin, hmm. and I'm turning around. I'm turning away from it, and I'm metanoiaing, <laughs> getting away from, <laughs> and heading in the other direction. Um, so, so guilt leads us to conviction. Conviction leads us to repentance. Now, a lot of times people will say, um, you know, have you, Hey, Patrick, have you repented of that sin? And you'll say, Oh yeah, I already told God I was sorry. A lot of times people will say like repentance is saying I'm sorry. And I will say, I would agree that repentance, that saying I'm sorry is maybe a part sure. of repentance, but it is not actually repentance. Repentance is a, it is an action. And it's not just an action of, hey, sorry, God. Uh, hey, sorry, Patrick, I screwed that up against you. It's, it's actually an action of deciding, I'm not going down that road anymore. I'm turning away from that. So guilt leads us to conviction. Conviction leads us to repentance. Repentance leads us into forgiveness. So when we are repentant and we are turning away from, and, and then usually in that, turning away from we're recognizing man i need to be freed from this and the only way as a believer the only way as a non-believer 
to be truly free from our sin is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only thing that will atone for any and all of my sin. And so in that moment then of repentance, and, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I've done this sin. I've done this sin again, right? Uh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I have nothing to pay for this sin except your blood. And in that moment, we are, we are asking for forgiveness, right? So conviction, I'm sorry, guilt leads us to conviction. Conviction leads us to repentance. Repentance leads us to forgiveness. Here's, here's the one piece. And uh, this is the piece that I feel like we as uh, Christians in the U.S., the church of the, of the West, the, the Western church. Got it. We get this wrong. So badly we get this wrong. And I'm going to say there's one more piece too. And most people would say like, whoa, 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 I've already been forgiven. We asked for forgiveness, so there's nothing more. But I, I do think there is. Mm. And I think that last piece is freedom. And what I mean by that is when, when we go from uh, guilt to conviction, conviction to repentance, repentance to uh, forgiveness, and then forgiveness... When we're asking God to forgive us, most times, and you, you might know this feeling, most times I have students that will say things, and I've said this myself, I, I ask God to forgive me, but I don't feel any different. Hmm. So maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe my heart wasn't fully submissive, right? Maybe I wasn't, because I just don't feel like I'm any different now. Hmm. And so then instead of actually knowing that scripturally, when God says, I've forgiven you, it's done. Instead of taking that, receiving that, instead we look to ways to try to fix it ourselves then. Mm -hmm. Earn it, make it better. I'm going to be better, darn it. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'll never do that again, Lord. <laughs> Uh, really? Because my name is Jeff, not Jesus. I, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bound to make mistakes. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to screw this up. Yeah. I'm going to sin against. By the end of the day. Yep. Yep. By the end of this conversation. Yeah. By the end of this breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that last piece of freedom, the way that I talk about this with middle schoolers and high schoolers is to actually receive that freedom then, to take hold of it, to, mm -hmm. to own it, to say whether I feel different or not from this prayer makes no difference. God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me a feeling, Patrick. He doesn't owe me the feeling of like, ah, now I'm freed. I just have to go on faith that the Bible is actually true. Right. That when he says, I take your sins and I remember them no more. I throw them, I cast them as far as the East is from the West. Can you even fathom that? No. As far as the what is from the what the east is from the west, like how do you quantify that? Right. It it is not in God's memory any longer. He literally washes Holy Spirit washes his hands of my sin. It is gone. The thought, feeling, and idea of forgiveness 
is such a crucial part of my walk with Jesus. Knowing that my mistakes are forgiven when I have guilt, conviction, and repentance truly makes me feel free. I'm a father, and I want my kids to understand that when they make a mistake, that's an opportunity to learn something, not something I'm going to make them feel bad about for the rest of their lives. That's the freedom I want them to have. I feel like it releases them from the demand of perfection. That's what God wants for us. Before my walk, shame shaped so much of my behavior and choices. Take a listen. In my own experience with shame, and that's, this is the, the part that makes this something that I really want to talk about throughout the course of the podcast, not just our episode here today or, or previous episodes. I want this to be an ongoing, anytime we discuss faith and mental health, the fighting of shame needs to be a part of it. It's such a part of my life. I have, it's shaped who I've pretended to be throughout years of my life, seasons of my life. I've pretended to be a certain way or a certain thing because of shame. I've, it's, it's dictated so much of my behavior over the years. And I think that that's true for a lot of people that a lot of people have experienced shame so deep that, that they don't first feel like they can get out of it. And it, once they do, don't feel like they can stay out of it. I am constantly concerned that, that the work that I've put in to, to get out of some of the pits that I was in, that I could fall back into it at any moment. And I, so I tread lightly and I walk around almost on high alert with, with a lot of things because I'm trying to avoid the pit of shame. And so I avoid a lot. It creates a lot of avoidance for me, including some things that I really shouldn't be avoiding in favor of not feeling shame. I'll avoid some things. And it's again, we'll, we'll go to the work of Brene Brown, who, who talks about foreboding joy that, that it as a guardrail against shame, often what we do is prevent ourselves from feeling joy so that we don't have to worry about shame because, you're just when you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, you, you won't be surprised. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I was in high school, I used to tell people all the time, I expect the worst to happen so that I will never be surprised. I will never be. And if something better than that happens, Yahtzee, good for me. It, it worked out better than I thought it was going to. But so long as I'm always expecting the worst, then I then it will it will be OK. And that story is true until my expectation of the worst got flipped upside down and something a million times worse than anything my brain could imagine happened. Mm -hmm. And and that was the death of my best friend at the age of 13. I wasn't expecting that. I never in a million years wouldn't have said, well, you know, today's the day that Greg is going to die. And so, so I'm, exp I'm, I'm prepared for it. I'm, I'm good. And so then when I get home, I, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I was expecting that so I can handle it. Um, wow. knocked me on my ass to be quite honest and, and quite graphic with language. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that's the worst word we've ever used on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it did, it, it knocked me for a loop to, to have that and, and then from that point on, I went, well, now I can't possibly imagine the worst because now the worst, it, it could be so much worse than anything I can imagine. I 
since becoming a Christian, believe that God has given me some tools to fight against that shame. But I also know that that there are researchers and psychologists, Brene Brown being one of them, um, who who are are doing research every day to help us learn. In your experience, is there something that God has given you to fight shame? And also the same question, but with the secular answer, are there tools that you use to fight shame that aren't spiritually tied? Okay. Um, I think that that's a good question. And if you've ever read um, Brené Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. I haven't. So she talks about shame resilience in that book. And, you know, she suggests some different tools. And I think that these are really helpful. And again, it goes back to that awareness component. What do we notice within ourselves? How much do we actually, how much insight do we have? How much do we see that is going on inside of us? So recognizing shame understand it and what triggers it Mm -hmm. because for a lot of people they're going to have specific situations or messages that will trigger their shame and it will create another spiral she also suggests you know like doing a fact checking on your self messages and the expectations that tell us that we're inadequate you know if it's I'm so stupid, you know, I'm never going to be able to learn anything. And you can show like, well, I just learned this new skill over here and I pick this up and I actually did really well in school or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then you have some information that counteracts that message. Often many of the shameful messages that we tell ourselves are not true. Mm. And if we actually spend some time looking at like, well, where are the facts? Yeah, evidence. What is this based yeah. on? Then that can be a good counterbalance hmm. to some of the thinking. Hmm. Um, she also suggests, you know, sharing your stories with people that you trust because shame creates silence and isolation mm-hmm. and judgment of yourself and other people. So the minute you start talking with people, and I hear this in my office all the time, I thought I was the only one who went through this. I didn't know that anyone else felt this way because we all try to present like we've got it together and that, you know, the insecure, you know, childish part that is inside of us that is afraid and doesn't want to be wounded and buys into all of these negative messages is just so it wants to be told that it's not true, but it's so afraid to believe that it isn't. Yeah. And so the minute you talk with someone else who's like, oh, yeah, I've been there, too. You know, I was just thinking that the other day. And then you find out, oh, I'm not the only freak in the world who feels this <laughs> way or who, who thinks this. Yeah. Um, there is some reassurance in knowing that, like, I'm not the only one in the world who has this really horrible thinking about myself. Yeah. So that, you know, is... Another tool that she recommends, and also using the word shame, um, talk about how you feel and ask for what you need. Because we act like, well, we're not ashamed. Mm -hmm. And 
I never want to be vulnerable. Are you kidding me? Like, so if we just start to put it out there, um, I was watching, I think it was like her second TED talk that she did. And she was talking about going through her first TED talk, coming home, hiding out in her house. And she said, I had the worst shame hangover of Mm. my life. You know, I didn't want to answer the phone, answer emails. I thought for sure everyone would think that this was just the dumbest thing ever. And she just puts it out there. Like, it's really refreshing to have someone say, I don't have it all together. I'm freaking out inside right now. And that they can say it because everyone else can identify with that and it resonates with people. Oh, I'm not the only one. Shame wants us to feel alone. It's such a comfort to me that I am not alone in my mistakes, that I'm not the only one. That whisper is part of how shame is used by evil, but it's not the only way. And so the devil, that shame attendant you you said, is so adept at whispering that back. I can't believe you did that. Mm. Jeff, do you remember that time? Do you know Do you know how many times you've done that already? God can't forgive mm. you. He won't. He won't love you. Patrick, I've been a pastor a long time. I still will hear those whispers. You asked at the beginning, like, how do I battle that? Yeah. I, I battle the shame that the devil tries to whisper, that shame attendant that he tries to whisper, I battle that by taking my thoughts captive. Scripture tells us, take your thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. Hmm. If, if I know biblically that shame is not a tool that, that God uses, then why in the world would I allow shame to be in me? It has no place in me. It has no place at all. Shame isn't for the believer. It's not what God uses for us. So if I'm feeling shame, and I know that biblically that doesn't come from God, only one other place that's coming from. And why would I sit in the devil's seat Mm. and listen to that and allow that to sift into me when it's a lie? Hmm. So the battle for me is daily. Um, I am a big resistor of the devil. I, I... I teach this all the time to my middle schoolers and my high schools. I literally, there's a trail by my house. Patrick, you will see me sometimes walking that trail and I will say this out loud. Uh, We're taught to um, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? Yep. There are moments when I recognize the devil is after me. He's tempting me. Temptation, biblically, temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. Falling into the temptation, like carrying that out, that's sin. Yep. But recognizing that I'm being tempted, well, thank you, God, for giving me eyes to see that there's temptation in my path so that I can turn to you and not run into the temptation. So I, I'm going to submit myself to you, God, and then I'm going to resist you, devil. And I literally will say, uh, walking on this trail sometimes, I will out loud say, devil, get out. I resist you. Yep. I see what you're doing here. No. You don't have any power over me. I am bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I resist, this is what I say, devil, I resist your temptation to fall into sin by, and then name out the temptation. Right. By falling into anger, by falling into lust, by falling into frustration over this situation in my life and and not giving that over to God. I, 
I resist your temptation to fall into sin by worrying. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had cancer a few years ago. And can I tell you, there's never a time in my life that was more full of worry than in that time. And I resist your temptation to fall into sin by worrying about this situation and not handing that situation over to God, who is the only one who can handle it. Hmm. And so when I do that, I resist your temptation. And then I always end it with, you have to flee, because that's what scripture says. Patrick, can I just tell you, every single time, devil's gone. Every single time, demons are out. Now, 27 seconds later, they're good at what they do. Yep. And they might whisper in the other ear about something different. Or they might whisper in the same ear about the same thing, just with a little different tone, right? Hmm. And I, this is a practice that I do regularly that I have to do regularly because scripture tells us to pray continuously. Yep. So this really is me praying to God, right? And resist doing what he says, resisting the devil in the name of Jesus. Hmm. Um, you know, Luke chapter 10 tells us that uh, Jesus himself says, um, I've given you authority. I've given you authority. He says, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So by that authority, not by my own, it's not by my own strength. It's by God himself who said, Jeff, you don't need to be in this anymore. Patrick, brother, you don't need to be in this anymore. Not one more second. So resist it. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And because I'm Jeff, not Jesus, I choose to not do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's, uh, again, back to Romans 7 then is, all right, I I, I can't. I I do what I I don't want to do. Dang it. Yeah. Every time. Do you find as a therapist, do you find it harder to acknowledge that you feel the same thing? Do you obviously when you if you admit or or own up to feeling similar as a patient, it helps a connection. But do you also worry that that person would then feel differently about are you worried about that vulnerability piece with with your patients or your clients? I think that there is a fine line that you walk with that Mm -hmm. because some people want to know, oh, okay, so you're a therapist and you have a struggle with that too. That's great. Like that makes me feel better. And then there are clients who will um, either come right out and say, "Uh, I really expect my therapist to be a little bit more on the ball than that. Right. And I don't know if I can work with you. Yeah. So you have to be careful about what you disclose. I mean, it's one thing to say, Yeah, you know, I worried about what this group of people thought of me, you know, when I did this presentation and I was so worried about how it would would be received. And more superficial things like that, I think people can connect with and that's okay. Yeah. But if you get too, too close to the bone, too raw, then there is a risk of them losing respect for you. Understood. 
Understood. And that's, as a therapist, I think I, I've talked with, with a pastor who has had a similar experience where when he admitted some, you know, sin in his own life, that, that the person he was talking to was like, oh, no, I don't want to imagine that my pastor commits sin. I need you to be up on a pedestal. And, he, and, and the pastor was like, well, that's not really realistic for me to, to not be that. However, I could choose to not share that. But but it's not realistic for me to not have sin in my life. That's not realistic, and so yeah, because we all have. Yeah, it. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Whether whether we we call it sin or we call it something else, it it we all have it. We all have things that we do that we aren't proud of, that we aren't mm-hmm. uh, that we walk away from feeling ashamed or feeling guilt or feeling convicted, um, depending on where you fall. Hearing the words of a, of a psychologist has been helpful for me in terms of my walk with Jesus, but also in terms of understanding that I'm not alone and that, that, that seeking help from someone who is trained to help you. Just like if your car's broken down, you could take it to your cousin Jethro who knows a little bit about cars, or you could take it to a person who went to college to become a, or went to school to become a mechanic. Jethro might be able to fix it, but you're going to have better luck with the mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I want everyone to understand that there's no shame, uh, that if you are someone who needs a, a mental health professional, please don't hesitate to reach out, um, to find some, some help. Uh, if you need assistance, feel free to email us at walking with Jesus. We would love to jump in with both feet and help you. Um, and is there anything before we wrap up, Jill, is there anything that you'd like to add as we close out? Just to say, Patrick, that I've really enjoyed talking with you today. And um, yeah, I think what you just said about not being alone and, you know, seeking out therapy if you need it. Yeah. But again, being wise about the person that you choose to work with, mm-hmm. that you need to feel comfortable with them. And that they have um, the expertise mm-hmm. in whatever area that you need help in, and um, that there should be no shame yeah. in seeking counseling. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I hope that hearing this offers you some insight into how to fight your own shame and also will make you think twice when you think about shaming others. I pray God will bring you all peace and guide you on your journey. Thanks for walking with us. Blessings, everyone.